You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. Today, we will be discussing the Westfield Watcher. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here today. This is the last episode of my Halloween spooky series. Next week, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We are going to start discussing episodes from volume two of Netflix's recently released Unsolved Mysteries. Okay, so I've heard conflicting reviews, so I'm excited to watch them all and just, you know, decide for myself because some people love it, some people hate it. Apparently, everybody's saying that the first volume was better than the second, but I need to watch all the episodes so that I can make that decision for myself. Um, I also want to mention how incredibly excited I am with the responses that I got from last week's episode. A lot of you guys were so interested in Edgar Allan Poe and his mysterious life and death. And I found it to be super interesting too. So I'm glad that y'all agreed. (laughs) Oh man, this is why I love working on this podcast because I'm able to discuss all of these interesting stories with you. And if you can believe it or not, Brian is actually warming up to it as well. And he's not even like embarrassed to talk about it anymore. Like he will admit it. He is a proud crime junkie now I think so this is a little thing I like to call progress he even listens to it like after we're done editing he'll listen to it with me and he will come up on his own with his own theories and shares them with me it's very emotional and he's even been voting on the polls that I post on the Instagram account if you're not already following go there I command you to go there uh, at Mystery Still Unsolved. And actually the other day he came up with a theory and he was so proud of it. And I asked you guys to vote on a poll that I had in my stories on whether or not you thought he was right. And he voted and then he texted me, hey, I voted for myself on your poll. (laughs) So it's awesome to get a chance to bounce ideas off with you guys and Now, I even have someone living in my own house that I can talk to about it. And if anything good has happened in 2020, anything good has come from 2020, it's this podcast. Am I right or am I right or am I right? (laughs) All right, so this weekend is Halloween. What do you guys have planned? Us, okay, while I would love for my kids to go trick-or-treating, Eh, I'm just not feeling too comfortable with it, honestly. Um, Utah in particular, if I lived in New York, I'd probably be a little bit, better, but little bit at ease with it because like they don't have as many cases. Like New-, New York is where I grew up, so that's why I always like reference New York. Um, Utah has seen a huge upswing of COVID-19 cases, and the governor... He just released some news, and I honestly, I just don't even want to think about it, but 
we're trying to not let that get us down. We are going to be staying in, but we're going to try and make it fun. We're going to try and make it positive. We're not going to make it seem like it's a loss. We're going to make it we're going to pivot and we're going to make it seem like it's a fun thing that we're doing. And so we are going to decorate the house really, really spooky. We're going to have a Halloween themed dinner, which we do every year. Um, I'm going to keep it really simple. Like I'm going to probably do like mummy dogs or something like that, or maybe even just like get a pizza from Papa John's. And then I'm going to make some Dracula drinks with dry ice. Seriously, guys, it's so cool. And then we're going to let our kids trick or treat from like room to room in our house. So like every room will have a theme to it and we're going to let them trick or treat. And then my daughter really wants to have a monster mash dance off. So we'll do that. And then we're going to watch a movie. And I I haven't let them watch Nightmare Before Christmas like all season, which has been really really hard for me personally because I love that movie but I wanted it to be exciting so we're building up the anticipation if you have kids I would love to know what they're dressing up as my daughter is going to be Hermione she really got into Harry Potter this past summer we actually watched all seven movies and I had only seen I think the first three so four of the movies were completely new to me and my daughter really enjoyed them she is obsessed with them she like is obsessed with magic and I love it it's so cute my son, he is two, and he is going to be Max from the book Where the Wild Things Are. And I could not think of a better costume for him because he really is a wild child. He seriously gets into everything. I don't know. My daughter was not like that. My son is getting into everything, and it drives me crazy. Um, I personally wasn't going to dress up this year, you know, with like all the crap. I thought like, oh, I'm not going to be going to a Halloween party, so I'll save the money. But my daughter really, really wants me to. And with everything going on, I just caved and I bought a hat online and I already had like most of the other stuff. Um, and I'm going to be Mary Poppins. Brian is not going to dress up. So my daughter told me earlier today that daddy's going as boring for Halloween. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Um, if you don't think it's creepy, I totally understand if you do, um, feel free to tag me in any photos that you take of costumes of yourself. If you're going to a Halloween party of your kids, I just love to see how creative people can get. It's, I just like, I just love watching it and just being like, oh my gosh, like I would have never thought of that. Like how cool is that? But anyways, if you feel comfortable and you want to do that, you can tag me on Instagram at mystery still unsolved. Halloween is my number one favorite holiday. So I just love everything involved in it. And I get so sad on November 1st because I'm like, it's 365 days away. <laughs> no. In terms of updates um, of the past cases that we've covered, there unfortunately haven't really been any, but that is certainly not due to lack of trying and investigating. I have been pretty persistent lately at sleuthing all the old cases that we've discussed, and for now, most of them are at a standstill. But I, we, always have hope that one of these cases... Um, one day there will be information uncovered that will result in an arrest and ultimately a conviction. That would be awesome. So I will keep you in the know. I'm going to continue to be creepy and like stalking people's Facebooks and stuff like that and attempting to leave no stone unturned, at least digitally, internet, website, t sleuthing. 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can totally hear my daughter watching the preview for Unsolved Mysteries Volume 2 in the other room. Don't worry. We do not let her watch the episodes with us, but I think because we don't let her watch the episodes and I'm always like doing this, my creepy podcast as she as she calls, like she tells other people like, do you know what my mommy does for work? She does a creepy podcast about murder. So yeah, that's been real fun. Like in those online courses that she's been taking, I swear like her teachers like think I'm a huge weirdo. Um, but because we like kind of like deny her being able to listen to the podcast and like watch Unsolved Mysteries with us, she is super, super intrigued by it. And I could not be more proud. Uh, she wants to be involved in everything that I do so badly, but I mean, just because of the subject matter, she really just can't be involved in that aspect of my life. So we've compromised and she is allowed to watch the little promo on Netflix of the Unsolved Mysteries, but that's it. But that kind of came back to bite me in the butt because now she just watches the promo over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But soon, my little true crime Jedi... The time will come for me to teach her the ways. But for now, let's keep her mind pure. (laughs) Today's episode is sure to make you feel like you need to look over your shoulder like a hundred times. It's probably one of the creepiest cases that I've discussed so far on this podcast. But that being said, it's not gory whatsoever. I have a lot of listeners, particularly my mother-in-law and my dad, who, you know, they'll text or call me or message me before they listen to the episode because they want to make sure that it isn't a bloody one because they don't like those kinds. And honestly, I don't blame them. I don't really like talking about gore either. But this episode is truly so creepy due to the fact that not only did it happen recently, like this happened 2014 to 2017, but honestly, what happened in this episode could very easily happen to any single one of us. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. And there would be very little that honestly any of us could do about it. And without giving out too much more information, let's get started. In June 2014, Maria Bradas, her husband Derek, and their three young children were getting ready to move into their new home at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Ah, moving. It is seriously one of the most exciting and stressful times of your life. It's so nice to finally be done taking tours of houses and going to open houses and all that crap, and making offers on houses and waiting to see if your offer was accepted, and ugh. Don't even get me started on the headaches of going back and forth and back and forth negotiating and then the pain in the butt of a house with multiple offers. Seriously, you get the idea. It's the freaking worst. All right, so you finally get over that whole migraine and you know that's such a relief, but then you have to pack up all your stuff. And if you have kids, oh my gosh, I'm having a panic attack just thinking about it. I'm trying to think if I like packing or unpacking better. Hmm. I, I think I like packing. Packing is definitely a lot faster, I would say, especially if you're not really doing a super good job at it. You can just kind of like throw everything in there. Like, um, like a witch, like doing her brew, like a little bit of that goes in there and a little bit of that goes in there. But unpacking just takes 
so much more time. It takes so much thought because you're potentially putting an item in its home for like ever or else until you move again. Yeah. I think I like packing the best, but what about you? I'll put a poll in the stories at Mystery Still Unsolved on Instagram, and this isn't even like true crime related, but I'm just curious. I just like want to know your thoughts. Anyways, back to the story. The six-bedroom home the Broadus family had purchased for $1.3 million was their dream home located only a few blocks from Maria's childhood home. This house is beautiful. It has that colonial charm. It was built in 1905. It's got the high ceilings. It's got the big windows, which end up not being so good for this house in particular for the Broadus family. Duh. Hello. Did you catch the name of this episode? It's called The Watcher after all. Hardwood floors. It has hardwood floors. It has um, crown molding and it has like fireplaces like in pretty much every room. Like there's like a fireplace in the master bedroom. There's a fireplace in the dining room. There's a fireplace in the in the living room. Like it's crazy. There's so many fireplaces in this house. Seriously, it's so fancy. It's so gorgeous. It's something that you'd see on like a two-page spread in Home and Gardens magazine. It's phenomenally gorgeous. Um, Maria, as I said, she knew the area because she had grown up in it. She probably knew that the schools were really, really great. She also, um, this also like tells me that Maria comes from money because the house was $1.3 million. And I was wondering who has $1.3 million to spend on a house and why do they even need such a big house? They have six bedrooms, but they only have three kids. I think even if I was a billionaire, I would still want to live in my home that I'm living in right now, I would just make my home like super, super nice. If I was a billionaire, I feel like I'd still live the same way that I do now. I'd probably go on more trips. Yeah. I, I don't even think I'd want my kids to know if me and Brian were rich because I wouldn't want them to grow up to be like pretentious little (laughs) a-holes. Hey, maybe I already am a billionaire and y'all just don't know. Hmm? Yeah, I'd be traveling way more. I'm not a billionaire. And I would have definitely hired a maid because I hate cleaning. I want my house to be clean and I do clean it often, but I hate, it's just like, to me, it's just like a waste of time. Like I want it to be clean, but I don't want to put the time required to clean it. I just feel like there's so many more fun things that I'd rather be doing. Okay. So anyways, that was a sidetrack. Sorry about that. In 2014, Westfield was considered the 30th safest city in America. So it makes sense why Maria would want to return to her hometown and purchase a home there to raise her children. It sounds like a great place to raise a family. Or so it would seem. Dun, dun, dun. Three days after closing the sale on their dream home and before the family had even like completely moved in, they had not stayed a night in that house, a letter arrived in their mailbox. The letter had not gone through the postal service. Someone had personally hand-delivered it and on the envelope, it simply read, to the new owners. Inside, the letter said, Dearest new neighbor, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. But guys, heads up, this letter is anything but welcoming. The letter continues. How did you end up here? 
Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force from within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Uh, weird, but it doesn't stop there. They continue. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard every day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. You know, sometimes when you move into a new neighborhood and like a neighbor will stop by and leave like a nice plate of cookies or a meal, perhaps even a nice bottle of wine, some crusty bread. Nope. This guy or gal decided to go um, a much creepier route to say the least. I have a friend who's currently packing up her house to move and she's going to like be moving into her house this Halloween. And I'm not going to say who it is because I'm not really sure if she's made it like Instagram or Facebook official and I don't want to like steal her thunder, but she knows who she is. And I really hope that she's not listening to this episode right now, but chances are that she is because she's seriously such an awesome and supportive friend. So if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Don't get creeped out. I'm sure that this is not going to happen to you. Probably. The letter also mentioned specifics about the Broadus family, which in my mind, okay, at first I thought when I was learning about this story that this could just be like a prank from like a little punk neighborhood teen or possibly even a disgruntled person who had made an offer on the house but had been like outbid by the Broadus family. But now they're doing research on this family and they know specific details about them. And that's really kind of taking this whole thing to a whole never level it takes this from oh man what a weird joke to you're a legit psycho (laughs) real quick you know what i mean the letter continues you have children i have seen them so far i think there are three that i have counted do you need to fill the house with the young blood i requested better for me was your old house too small for your growing family Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them closer to me. Welcome, welcome, my new friends. Let the fun begin. Then, in cursive font, the author typed up the watcher. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, you can mess with me all you want. You can mess with Brian as much as you want because honestly, it'd be kind of funny. You can play your little mind games and send your little notes and all that kind of crap. But if you start talking about my kids and saying stuff like that about my kids, oh my gosh, you are in for a world of hurt, my friend. I would have no problem putting a bullet in somebody's head if they were to go anywhere near my children. I would not think twice about it. And I think that we all can relate to that, us with kids. If someone were even to refer to my children as young blood, like little blood bags, because they're not saying in the cool, like, hey, young blood. They're saying like, oh, have you brought me some blood? Like, that's really, really weird. Um, Shisha is going to go down. And I wouldn't think twice about it. 
The letter also um, chastised Derek and Maria for having um, contractors over to do renovations, saying something along the lines of, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. So I see you've already flooded the house with contractors uh, trying to change what it's supposed to be. And then he literally writes out, tisk tisk, careful. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard mad, which, buddy, it's not your house. So sit down and shut up. After receiving the letter, the Broadus family decides to reach out to the older couple who had sold them their house. Their names are John and Andrea Woods. The elderly couple said that they had never received any letters like that in the 23 years that they had lived within the home, except once, a few days before they moved out. The letter written to the Woods instructed them to send fresh young blood his way. The Woods family said that they never, they've never felt watched in the two decades that they lived in the home, and I believe them because I don't think anyone could live two decades in a house like that, receiving letters like that without wanting to move somewhere else. In fact, the Woods rarely, they felt so safe living in that house that they rarely, if ever, locked their doors. And while they found the letter to be a bit off, they kind of like just tossed it up to being a prank and they threw it out without giving it much thought until the Rogers family contacted them. Even still, the Woods agreed to go with the Broadus family to the police to report the weird notes that they had both received. Police instructed the families to not tell anyone, including any of their neighbors, about the odd notes because their neighbors could potentially be suspects. In fact, Shortly after the first letter was received, a neighbor had come over to tour the home. She wanted to see what sort of renovations the Broadus family had planned. After receiving the tour and just like getting to know them a little bit, the woman remarked to Derek, who was giving her the tour, how wonderful it was to have some young blood in the neighborhood. And Derek was thoroughly creeped out. He stood there watching her with like an open mouth. Because, as we know, the watcher had referred to the children as young blood in the letter. These letters were making the Broadus family suspicious of anyone and everyone. Two weeks later, the Broadus family was not completely moved in. I think that they were moving things in, but they hadn't actually like spent a night in their home yet. A second letter arrived. Even more disturbing than the first letter, this letter contained more personal information about the Broadus family, which just gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. Listen to this, guys. This letter contained the couple's first names, the children's birth order, their names, and the children's nicknames. And that's creepy to me because it's one thing to like look up information online about people, but if you know someone's nickname... That means that you really did some intense digging on the internet or like someone's really watching. The letter also mentions um, watching their youngest daughter paint on an easel in an enclosed porch space and asking if she was the artist of the family. The note also read, quote, It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of this house. Have you found all of the secrets that this house holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is very far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 
Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. The Woods were a nice family, but it was time for them to move on, and so they passed it on to you after I instructed them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession, and now so are you, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the last three families to this home, and now it has brought you to me. Happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. After receiving the second note, Maria and Derek were understandably creeped out, and they decided to stop bringing their children by the house and put a hold on moving their stuff in, obviously. This seems to have upset the watcher, because several weeks later, a third letter arrived. The letter read, Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. The house is crying from all the pain that it is going through. I'm assuming referring to the renovations that the Broadus family is doing that. Uh, You have changed it and made it so fancy. It misses the past and what it used to be. The house in the 1960s is really when it was in its prime. That's when I used to roam its halls, running from room to room, imagining the life within it. Now I watch and wait for the time the young blood will be mine again. 657 has turned on me. It used to be my friend, but now it is my enemy. What evil spell have you cast upon it? I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for this time to pass. 657 needs young blood again, like when I roam the halls. It needs you and your children to come back. However, by the end of the year, uh, the Broadus family had not brought their family back. And there was an ongoing investigation from detectives of who could be behind the mysterious letters. But it had reached a standstill. There were no fingerprints on the letters or any saliva that was traceable. There was no digital trace. Um, there was no handwriting. So it's not like they could do like a handwriting analysis on anybody. Um, but... Okay, guys, this was in 2014. That's when this family moved in, right? 2014. Um, There were cameras that you could install. Why didn't they do that? If I had received a letter, well, maybe not the first one, but definitely after the second one, I would have installed a security system and some cameras all over that property. Also, I just remembered something. Remember the elderly couple that sold them the home? The Woods family. I think it was like John and Andrea. I recall them saying that for the majority of the 23 years that they lived in the home, they often left their doors unlocked. Is this how the person leaving the letters was so familiar with the home? Could it have been someone who had done a walkthrough of the house during like an open house or something when it was for sale? Whoever it was knew that all the bedrooms were on the second floor and that some of them faced the street. And I mean, I guess that that could have been a guess, but it also could be that this person has been inside the home before the family moved in. If I were the Woods family, I'd be a little creeped out because maybe since they didn't lock their doors, this individual could have been inside their home when they didn't even know it, like watching them as they slept. Or some weird crap like that. Yeah, <laughs> I have goosebumps. That's a huge fear of mine. If you can guess, I don't sleep very well. <laughs> Meanwhile, the stress was taking a mental toll on the broadest couple. 
and their children, obviously. No shame there. Derek was experiencing depression. Maria's therapist said that she was suffering from PTSD, and both Maria and Derek were experiencing levels of paranoia that made daily life and even the most mundane of tasks seem life-threatening. Only six months after the letters arrived, they decided to sell their home. This is all without any of the family ever actually staying the night in the home. Due to the rumors about the property, however, potential buyers were hesitant. The Broaddus family attempted to sue the Woods family, the previous owners, for failing to disclose the threatening letter that they had received, which, slow down, Broaddus family, I know that you're upset and you're freaked out, I totally would be too, but to sue the Woods I don't really think that that's fair. First off, they only received one letter, like three days before they moved out, which means that the house had already been sold to the broadest family. So there honestly wasn't much that they could have done anyways. And in most states, it's completely legal to not disclose if someone has been murdered or died in a home that's for sale, let alone have to disclose like a one creepy letter that they thought was a joke. Luckily, a judge agreed with me and the civil case was dismissed. A reporter caught wind of the story and wrote up a piece that received viral notoriety, and a media circus soon swarmed around the family's house. With the family being unable to sell the house in its current condition, the Broaddus family hoped that they could tear it down and instead build two properties on the lot. The two houses, however, would each be less than three feet too small for the mandated size of the neighborhood, which yada, yada, yada is stupid legal jargon that doesn't really mean anything. So it's just kind of annoying. The Broaddus family appealed the decision, um, but they would need it to get approved by the neighborhood board. And shocker, it was rejected. Basically just a bunch of HOA people with a power complex because they all got C's in high school. And now they can all be the big man on campus and bully people around in the neighborhood about the height of their bushes and the paint color of their shutters. If you couldn't guess, I don't like HOAs very much. (laughs) Maria was upset. She said, quote, this is my town. I grew up here. I came back and chose to raise my kids here. You know what we've been through. You had the ability two and a half years into a nightmare to make it a little bit better. And you have decided that this house is more important than my family. It should be noted that in 2018, just two years after the Broaddus family requested this appeal, the review board approved a separate law around the corner from the Broaddus family's home that required a larger exception than the Broaddus family had requested. So now I just think this neighborhood is just bullying this family. I know that Maria grew up several blocks away. I'm wondering if there's possibly like some mean girls that she had gone to high school living in the area that had like influence in that neighborhood. Because I don't know. I'm just wondering if there's somebody that had like an axe to grind with this family or like Maria in particular. I just want to know whose silicone implants are leaking and causing permanent brain damage. Why the hell are they being so mean to this family? This neighborhood freaking sucks. It just really, really sucks. And I'm just wondering why the whole neighborhood, could the whole neighborhood be in on it? And for some unknown reason, they like don't want the broadest family there. Carter, the guy that I liked, asked Maria to homecoming during her sophomore year of high school, and now I'm going to get everyone to turn on her so I can finally get my revenge. Calm the frick down, Becky. Everyone knows Carter wouldn't have ever asked you to the homecoming with your old nose. Sit down and shut up. Just a theory, but 
Now I'm getting riled up. I don't know if that's what it is, but wouldn't that be so crappy if it was over something as petty as that? Over Christmas of that year, some families who had been pretty vocal about not wanting the lot to be split into two houses received some threatening hand-delivered letters signed friends of the broadest family, but put a pin on that because I'm going to give you more on that later. In spring of 2016, just short of two years after the arrival of the first letter, the Broadus family found a family to rent their home. The family had two large dogs, they had fully grown children, and a clause in the lease that let them out of their contract if there was another letter. Within two weeks, as you might have guessed, another letter arrived. The letter read, To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. Um, excuse me? A wench? We are in 2016, right? Not 1516? All right, now these letters are getting weirder and weirder, and it seems even more like a sick joke. It's actually, like, getting dumber, like, as the letters come. Who uses the word wench in, like, an actual threatening letter? The person writing these letters... (laughs) Seriously, I think that they're an absolute loser. I just don't get the old English like undertones of it. I'm so confused by it. The letter continues, 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard, (sighs) guys, this is just getting lamer and lamer now. The sol- my soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard. All hail the Watcher. And why does he keep... Okay, first off, all hail the Watcher is like the lamest thing I've ever heard in my life. And why does he keep saying the address over and over again? Like, we know the address. Calm down. Also, he has minions now? Who are you? The villain from Despicable Me? Ugh, this is getting tiresome. The letter continues um, and makes some legitimate threats, which makes this letter the, the first that I think could actually be, like, prosecuted. It continues, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day, maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones die suddenly, Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Uh, okay. It was super scary, but then it goes from, like, threatening people's lives and, like, killing people's pets to talking about bikes crashing. What an idiot. Way to build up the tension and then drop it massively. He continues, Bones break. You are despised by the house and the watcher won. This guy is really just casting such a wide net and hoping that something sticks. That if anything... Basically, if anything mundane, slightly mundane happens to this family, they're going to be paranoid and think that it's him. Ketchup runs out when you need it. The batteries in your remote control die. You stub your toe in the middle of the night. There's no toilet paper in the bathroom. You can't remember where you put your favorite book. Your retainers fall in the sink. What a loser. You can tell he's running out of ideas, but also he's threatening to kill people's dogs and family members, which is literally crazy. Despite the letter, the renters decided to stay after more cameras were installed around the house. And this implies that there were already cameras, so I'm not really sure why they didn't catch anything. I'm really confused by that. 
The Broadus family grew so desperate that they decided to hire two retired FBI profilers to kind of like come up with a profile on the person responsible. The profilers worked up a profile and it goes like this. They believe that it's someone older, a person who likes to read. They also said there was, oh yeah, a person who likes to read. It definitely could not have been me. They also said there was true seething anger and disdain behind the words. There was like never any profanity in the letters, which caused the profilers to believe that this was either an older person who couldn't shake his good manners, even when writing a creepy note or someone who uh, would portray themselves as being like less macho, whatever the heck that means. Apparently, in order to be manly, you have to swear at everybody. That's lame. Anyways, the profilers did think that the writer would never act on any of the threats that they made in the letter, but it was suggested through the writing that the person behind them was not all there, which, duh, I could have told you that. The person had a hate or an aversion towards people with wealth, someone um, who is intelligent but not necessarily logical, and uh, they believe that it was someone who is certainly not a fan of gentrification. Okay, so now we're up to current day. Let's look into some potential suspects behind these ominous letters. Suspect number one, um, we can only refer to him as the gamer. So around 11 p.m. one night, while detectives were surveilling um, 657 Boulevard, a car suspiciously stopped outside of the house. The car was traced to a young woman who lived in a town nearby, uh, and the home of her boyfriend was on the same block as the house. The woman told the detectives that her boyfriend was into some pretty dark video games, including possibly one where he watched, where he played as a character um, named The Watcher. Um, the gamer agreed to be questioned, um, but then he didn't show up to two interviews. So he failed to show up to the first one, and they rescheduled, and then he failed to come to the next one. And the detectives didn't have enough evidence against him to, like, literally force him to come in so their hands were kind of tied and they were never able to interview him suspect number two is a neighbor named michael langford derek began to suspect langford after attending a neighborhood barbecue after receiving the very first letter and langford lived right next door to 657 boulevard in his 90 year old mother's home apparently several of his siblings all in their 60s lived with their mommy to which i say cut the cord I can understand one sibling staying there to, you know, watch after their incredibly old mother, but several of the kids, now y'all are just mooching. The family was seen as odd and strange because, you know, they couldn't leave their mommy, but overall, it was believed that they were harmless. The Langfords had lived in the house since the 1960s, which if you remember is when the watcher claims that his father began to watch the house. Michael's dad had died 12 years prior before the first letter was received at the house, which could explain why the watcher claimed to have done the job of watching the house for the better part of two decades. Because, I mean, I mean, 12 years is not almost two decades, but I guess if you're trying to, like, kind of hide who you are, you could that would work. Um, however, Langford had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a child. He was apparently also known to spook new neighbors with his odd behavior. Like he would like walk through people's yards and peek through their windows, peek through their windows. Isn't that enough to arrest somebody? Arrest him now. 
Due to the arrangement of the two houses, Michael would have had a perfect view of the easel that they had set up in the enclosed porch for their daughter that is mentioned in the second letter. Regardless of whether or not he is the watcher, he certainly participates in some creepy behavior, um, like trespassing into people's neighborhoods and peeking into their houses. Um, But people consider him strange but harmless. And... I don't know. It's difficult because I wrote this podcast, like the episode, and then after I was like looking through it, I was like, I think I'm going to look through one more source. And that's the source that I learned that he had schizophrenia. So I'm not really sure because I only found it in one source. Um, So I had a lot of like funny little quips that I was going to add, but now I feel bad saying them because I'm not sure if he suffers from mental illness and I don't want to... I don't want to like make fun of him if it's like a mental illness thing. I thought it was just like a, I'm a creep. <laughs> if it's a mental illness thing, then that's not, nothing to joke about. So I'm going to leave him out. Um, but anyways, police questioned him and they couldn't get anything out of him. He claimed to have no idea what they were talking about. And the detectives decided to take what he said at face value. Um, but some people believe that the police spoke with him and that they did find out that he had been writing the letters and they just like asked him to stop. Um, And because after they were done interviewing Michael, uh, the detectives came over and told the Broadduses that they would not be receiving letters anymore. And I just don't know how the police could be so confident to tell the Broaddus family that when they had just spoken to their primary suspect and they had gotten like literally no information from him. So also a detective spoke to a friend and told them that when they had questioned Michael, he kind of mimicked a lot of the verbiage that was used in the letters. So maybe it was him all along, but the police didn't want to give him any trouble since it was most likely due to his mental illness. A lot of people claim that Michael was incapable of writing the letters. And I'm not sure if that means like they don't think that he could have done it or if he was like literally incapable of writing the letters. Um, And let's just put mental illness to the side because I don't know if the people saying this knew that he had a mental illness, but to address the narrative of neighbors being like, oh my goodness, my neighbor Ted Bundy couldn't possibly be the killer. He's just so nice and handsome. Uh, you would be some dumb, dumb people. Do you know what psychopaths are really good at? Fooling people. Remember the BTK killer? His wife and children literally had no idea that he'd been torturing and murdering people like children and little old ladies for decades. They literally had zero idea. Even when presented with DNA evidence, his children, it took them a really long time to believe it. And you know why? Sociopaths and psychopaths are so good at pretending to be normal. They literally just watch people all day and mimic their behavior so that they can weasel their way around um, society without any suspicion. This is why I encourage all people to look into true crime. It's important for your health. You need to know what kind of people you're dealing with out there. If you go on a cruise, you research it. If you're going to live amongst people in this world, you got to do your research. Research the good stuff and the anomalies. That way you can be better equipped to handle weirdos. <laughs> but that doesn't hold water when it comes to Michael because if it's true that he had schizophrenia, he was suffering from a severe mental illness. And if that's all that this ends up being, that it appears then it appears that there really were victims um, on both sides here. 
However, even still, the Broaddus family, with the help of the police, they decided to send the Langfords a letter informing them that they were going to be demolishing the house in hopes to kind of like draw out the watcher. Um, but they never did receive a response letter to this letter. So that kind of put a, a doubt on the Langford family, specifically Michael. And this is just further reiterated when the DNA that they found on the letter, I'm guessing it was saliva, was found to belong to a woman. Hmm. Now does my jab at Becky, the girl who peaked in high school and is now on the HOA board, seem too harsh? Y'all were thinking I was too mean and bitter, but hmm. Do I seem mean and bitter now? Or is there possibly some truth to it? Uh, The DNA that they found was compared to a used water bottle discarded by one of the Langfords, and it was determined through the DNA that it wasn't a match to anyone within the Langford family. So it also was tested against Maria Broadus herself and the Woods family, and no match. So they were forced to explore other leads, but there aren't many, honestly. Suspect number three is the broadest couple themselves. And like I said, they did DNA, but I'll just kind of tell you what kind of was causing those suspicions. So locals found it odd that the broadest family had been able to move from a $315,000 home to a $770,000 home to a $1.3 million home in the matter of like a couple of years. And some accused the family of possibly getting in over their heads with the home and turning to a desperate ploy to get out of it. Some neighbors wondered why the Broaddus family kept renovating the home after they had already decided that they weren't going to move in. Um, In another source, I read that Derek had grown up in a working class family and he had worked very hard to give his children the life that he didn't have. And with his amazing work ethic, he was able to rise in the ranks at his job and become the senior VP of a Manhattan um, insurance company. So while the neighbors think it's odd that they were able to afford such an expensive property in such a short amount of time, I don't. This is what determination and true grit will get you. They're literally, the neighbors sound like a bunch of haters. Major movie studios were interested in the story. They like kind of were playing with the idea of making a movie and they reached out to the Broadus family um, and some believe that this alone would have been uh, the financial motivation needed for them to continue the odd story about the Watcher and that got them to write more letters themselves. What's more, remember these letters some neighbors had received after the proposal had been rejected? These letters turned out to be written by, plot twist, Derek Broaddus himself. Derek claims that those letters are the only anonymous letters that he has ever sent out and that they were due, they were sent due to years of frustration over the family's plight, which I don't know if this is my New York upbringing coming through, but I personally would not have sent an anonymous letter. I would have caught him outside. How about that? You know what I mean? I thought they were New Jerseyans. New Jerseyans don't do anything anonymously. They tell you like it is to your face. But I don't know. Maria is from New Jersey. Maybe Derek is from like, I don't know, Minnesota, where they choose to be overtly passive aggressive instead. Oh dear, let's send out some letters to these meanie heads. Oh gee willikers, they are some nasty bullies, eh? Let's throw these letters into a bag and take them out straight away. I do think Derek sent out these letters. Like, I'm not saying that he didn't send them out, but I don't think that he started the letters. Like, 
that he was being sent to his own home. I just think that they would have paid that. I just don't think that they would have paid the money necessary to like go to therapy, do all the renovations if they were faking the letters. Why didn't they just fake going to therapy too? Because therapy can be expensive. So I just don't see someone like forking over thousands of dollars like that to keep up appearances in a lie that they've concocted. And I also think, I mean, I did go to school to like go be a psychologist, so I might have a biased view, but I think that therapists are smart enough and psychologists are smart enough that they would have been able to see through it. I think that they would have like noticed some inconsistencies if it was not a true problem. Okay, so edit. After writing the last thing, that I found out that Derek is actually from Maine. <laughs> so I wrote the last thing, but I had already recorded like the funny Minnesotan accent and I didn't want to deprive you all of it. So I decided to keep it in even after I found out that he's from Maine. So you're welcome. Another thing is that a few blocks away, another family who had lived in their home for like 20 years got a letter from the watcher around the same time the Broadduses got theirs and they just threw theirs out. They were kind of like the woods where they just like assumed that it was just a prank and so they just threw it out. And I think whoever was behind these letters was just kind of like giving out letters at random to see which family he got the best rise out of. The Broaddus family were more vocal and they're like distress. And so I'm wondering if the person just kind of fed off of that and decided to keep bugging them since she got a reaction out of them. And I'm going to say she because she was determined to be a she through DNA. Also, to say that Broadus family did all this for a movie deal is absolutely ridiculous. What who what would even what would even make them think that a production company would even care? That's a pretty big risk to take for something that probably wouldn't even happen. It's not like production companies in LA are like, I don't know what movie to make. I wonder what's going on in Westfield, New Jersey. It is the 30th safest city to live in, you know. Oh man, what's this? A house is receiving weird letters? That's it. My next movie. That's not how it works. But another source I read um, states that this belief that the Broadus are involved is financially motivated, but more so in favor of the neighbors. Apparently, the neighbors were quite upset that their neighborhood was getting national negative attention because this was a nationwide story. They didn't even really know the Broadduses because the family had never even officially moved in. The neighbors were worried that their property values were going to be going down because this family had moved in and now they're talking crap about their neighborhood to the entire nation. So the neighborhood was kind of against the Broadduses from the get-go. So I take this theory of the Broadduses being involved with a grain of salt. There's a lot of people on the side that's pushing this narrative that they don't really like the Broadduses anyways. So this neighborhood does suck, but it's not because of these creepy letters that are coming. It's literally because this neighborhood seems like it's just given me Stepfordy, desperate housewife vibes. It just sucks. <laughs> All right, so suspect number four, one of the letters recalls running through the halls of 657 Boulevard. I think it's like in the third letter it says that, but I don't know 
about you, but that leads me to believe that someone as a little child lived there. Apparently, all of the past owners of the home were interviewed and questioned, including any of the grandchildren, um, etc., all of whom claim that they never remembered receiving any letters and had never heard of any letters being received at their house, which if it was someone that had been questioned, obviously they're going to say that. So I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Whoever it is seems like they intimately know the layout of the home, like how close the basement was from the rest of the home and like the fact that you wouldn't be able to hear your child screaming if you were in the basement. Um, Also, apparently there were some older neighbors who lived behind the broadest home, like their backyards were separated by a fence and contractors working on the house told police that the elderly couple that lived there, particularly the husband, would sit out in the backyard in a lawn chair facing the house. It's also common knowledge that the man living there had a daughter who married a boy who had grown up in 657 Boulevard. So there's that. Basically, whoever this is just sucks because sure they didn't cause any like physical harm none of their threats actually happened nobody died or was murdered or had their pets die or had their taillight die or had their grass get too long (laughs) you know all those scary things that they promised but it certainly caused the family emotional harm and financial harm This family was just excited to move into a new neighborhood, into their dream home, a neighborhood that Maria had grown up in. Remember guys, it just, they were so excited and then to have this happen to them is seriously just so devastating. The Broadduses were eventually able to sell their home last July, so July 2019, and they had to significantly decrease the price. So remember that they purchased the home for $1.3 million, and it ended up selling for $959,000. So they they lost out on about $340,000, which totally sucks. But then remember that they had actually put in about... They had been doing some renovations, and I think that they had put in about $100,000. So they really lost out on like $440,000. They didn't really gain anything from this. They actually lost money. They don't do interviews to this day because they don't like the publicity. So I just don't see, I just don't see the narrative. I just don't understand the narrative of them being behind it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, This case is very, very recent. Um, They bought the house in 2014. They kept getting letters until 2017. They sold the house in 2019. So that's just last year, guys. So maybe we'll receive another letter from the watcher that will provide the clue needed in identifying the individual responsible and hopefully we're able to solve this bizarre yet chilling case. I also wanted to mention um, that Netflix purchased the rights to the story in December of 2018. And apparently there were like six other um, companies that were super, super interested in buying the rights. There was like a huge war about it. So I don't know what Netflix is going to do with it. Maybe they're going to turn it into a movie or maybe they'll turn it into a series. Um, But if I hear anything about anything cooking in the works or release date, I'll for sure let you know. Because I know that I'd be down to watch it. I'd be a watcher of it. Uh, But also scared because the story is kind of creepy. Okay. It's really super creepy. All right, guys. What do you make of this case? 
Who do you think is responsible? Do you think it was a woman? I mean, I know the DNA came from a woman, but I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that a woman wrote the letter. She could have just been the person that licked the envelope. Um, Do you think it's just some bitter person from Maria's past um, or a bitter person who like lost out on the house if it was like a multiple offer situation or maybe a neighbor who was upset that they were like renovating the house or do you think it was Derek all along? Um, Do you think it's just like a bunch of like crappy youths oh no there are youths about um who are playing like a sick and twisted joke on the family or maybe you have an idea that we didn't discuss today let me know in the comments of the post that i created on instagram at mystery still unsolved i'd love to hear your thoughts happy halloween guys please stay safe out there um don't get any creepy letters (laughs) and don't forget to join us next week When together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?